previously on the Ninth Story Podcast. Hey, how you doing? The assassination of <coughs> Kennedy. You need a ream? I'll ream you. What do you want me to put this in your... Are we going to have three hobos? That's good math. I um, used to know this guy, but I fucking can't stand him anymore. <laughs> how are we going to get rid of this guy? What are we going to do about this here? I'm going to fuck you. I'll watch the news. <coughs> it seems innocent. <laughs> What it seems innocent. It's very hard for them to get away. No. Woodshop. Wood no. <laughs> Conspiracy theories. Executive order one 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 zero. No. 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 I have uh, secret recordings made by President Kennedy's now deceased widow, Jackie Onassis. Ooh. <laughs> secret UFO files. I or uh Yeah. Uh, the, the most important uh, thing uh, <laughs> we can do is tell people the truth about uh, aliens. <laughs> they all had it up. Everybody fucking hated Kennedy. And now, the conclusion. Welcome back. Why, why are you shouting at me? I don't know. Welcome back. Because you, you didn't move. Oh, well, actually, I was so, I was, you know, I'm just so into it. I'm in the zone. I'm so concentrating on what we're jamming out to that music. I was. That music is awesome. Kick ass. I love it. I love the music. I know I talk about it whenever we come back from our break. I so, you it. know what's funny? I, I just thought of this. This is what's episode that? six, right? Six, sure. It, what are we covering? The 60s. Whoa. <laughs> blows my mind you man just, you did it you blew my mind again you did that a couple episodes ago yeah you've done it again the the, tw- the tweets and the twitters and the followers <laughs> touch my tweets <laughs> don't, don't touch my don't twerk don't. <laughs> hey, what are you doing with it with it with i don't know you kids these days with the tweets and the twit and the twerks and the- <laughs> said the old lady the commercials your son's riding around in that motorcycle and he just likes to drive it too fast and scary that is like that i wasn't even doing I was that, on but- that motorcycle one time I yeah. love the guy in that commercial. Just He's just there like sitting there eating his... Right, looks up at the waitress when... Oh, Jesus Christ, I've been married <laughs> to this woman for over 50 years. <laughs> for over half a century, I've had to put up with this bullshit. Great long bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, also in the 60s, the 60s was a weird time, man. I mean, I don't know if it's because I didn't grow up in it. I mean, I know that there were lots of things that happened in the 80s and the 90s and the th- 2000s. Yeah. But it just seems like the '60s was just like a powder keg. There was all kinds of crazy. You know, crap you know what's crazy? It's funny that you say that, Dan. Because as can you remember. wave that knife at me, <laughs> that's right. But, hey, if you were in the ninth story studio, you would see that Craig right now is brandishing a knife. He's he's armed with a pirate knife. I am. I'm ready to fend off if anybody who was part of the ship, part of the crew. <laughs> All of a sudden comes out of the walls. Don't worry. Dan's protected and I'll cut the fucking heart out of anybody who tries to get I'll him. I'll rip out your heart. That's right. I got him. I got him. Dan, I got your back. Um, I'll put the knife down. It's a plastic knife, everybody. Plastic. Um, anyway, <laughs> what were we talking about? I, the 60s, I, it's man. A, right. So, that's that's oh, right, man. That's right. Totally so, like so, the 60s. Yeah, thank you. So, so when I was a young, impressionable lad, and this is probably... Far out. <laughs> right. I was probably... 10 or 11 at most, and I can visualize this now, and there was this show on, and it was the first time I ever saw the footage. I saw the Zapruder film, and I saw JFK getting shot in the head. On... 
TV. On television. Right. Wow. I mean, they, and it was like I mean, edited. Not that that's like a big deal nowadays. But for yeah. back then and for somebody at my age, yeah. you weren't exposed to that shit back in those days. And then they showed Martin Luther King getting shot. And then they showed Bobby Kennedy getting shot. And I was like, what the fuck was going on? <laughs> Mom? Right, seriously. I'm like, what? Ha-? And that's all like in the first five minutes of the show, you know, because they're setting it up. And- yeah, keep keep watching TV and play over <laughs> no, there, Craig. No, and this We're was making like, dinner. This was like, no, it was like, it was like eight o'clock at night. And I remember it. It was like, it was like on before That's Incredible was on, you know? <laughs> it was like a Monday night, eight o'clock to nine o'clock. That's and, right. incredible. Right. Before John David, I'm going to name him. <laughs> Fran Tarkenton, John ah, Davidson, and yes. Kathy Lee Crosby before they ah, sauntered yes. out onto the stage to show you what was truly incredible that night. Um, <laughs> Believe it or not. Believe it or don't. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't so care. anyway, they, so so that was like the preamble to the show. Like they showed all these cataclysmic events and they showed you like, you know, all the sit-ins and the Vietnam and all the just, it was, as you and I talked about Here's before. a man lighting himself on fire. The turbulent 60s. Yeah. And whole, and again, but their point was, as we talked about, the Kennedy assassination changed everything. Yeah, it and, did. And the world just got sucked into a vortex, and not a good one. No. And I don't know if you get sucked into a vortex, if there's ever a good vortex to get sucked into. <laughs> well, but anyway. Hey, well, hey, hey now. now. Hey, you want to get sucked into my vortex? <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> f*** you. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Come on, we talked about not getting too blue. I'll bleep it. Right. We can bleep. No. <laughs> we can bleep right over top of that. No, no, no. no. You don't it's need to bleep fit it. for all the children. That's they have right. no idea what they don't need to bleep. You're like, I know what you said. <laughs> That's Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it was a turbulent time, and, and I think that things changed to the point where certain things became acceptable to talk about that weren't before. It's kind of like what we talked about in episode two where we talked about how society has changed and now you have television shows that you never would have seen on TV before. But I think that started in the 60s. I guess there was still a a period of time where things were still wholesome and good, but its days were numbered. You've really, just in this this brief moment, and you know, kind of got me thinking about something, that um, if you look at shows in the 70s, I'm only going to be able to rattle off a couple here, but take a look at a show like like Happy Days or Laverne and Shirley. Mm -hmm. The, The thing about them was they were shows in the 70s, but they were set in times that predated the Kennedy assassination. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So even after it, if you had a show that wasn't about, that wasn't inspired by the 60s, mm-hmm. that was wholesome, the wholesome shows of the 70s were still shows that predated the assassination. Then That's you started, th- but then, you, and I just thought of that in this instant. Then you started getting into the Three's Companies, the soaps, those shows that weren't. They were fractured. Yeah. These are the fractured times in which we're living. Exactly right. So that's, but that's a great point. Look at every Norman Lear show in the All in the Family, Maud, One Day at a Time, all of those shows that were spin out, the Jefferson. Broken Families. You would not have had Broken times. any of those shows without the 60s. Yeah, it wasn't and, and until I, people became disillusioned. Yeah. And because of the disillusionment, it opened the door for all of that. The Kennedy assassination had everybody reeling for a couple of years. And then when Martin Luther King got shot and Bobby Kennedy got shot, people were like, they're killing everybody. Right. Enough is enough. And that was really what sent everybody reeling. And that was the whole tune in, turn on, drop out as we were talking about yeah. off air. Yeah. Um, 
that's just you know in, in Vietnam and everything was just going bonkers and television was never the same and music was never the same books were never the same and it's I'd interesting because everything that was in the closet yeah. that nobody wanted to talk about was now out in the open that's right and okay to talk about okay to start talking about and they had all these very special episodes of Family Ties that's very right. special episode of and you know anytime it was a very special episode someone got raped killed hurt whatever and you never saw that happen on Leave it to Beaver or My Three Sons. Their problems were not the problems from, as you said, the fractured times that came after the Kennedy assassination. I think, um, again, just talking about this now, I don't know if it's irony, even if it was Oswald doing this to prevent that. Mm-hmm. or if it was the government doing this to prevent that. Everything that everybody was afraid of happening because Kennedy was the president, he was a Catholic and he was so liberal. And oh my God, what's all this shit about civil rights? What's this about the Negroes and the whites? To get All the stuff that everybody was afraid of happening because he was now president, <laughs> that stuff exacerbated because of it. There's a name for that, isn't there? It's not the unstoppable force. There's something else that refers to that where something is predestined or preordained and, and no matter what you do, you can't stop it. Maybe that's something for use your illusion sometime. I think we got we have to find that. I have phrase. to figure out what it is. But you know, this is a recurring theme of things that you and I've talked about. We've talked a little bit about it through, you know, the first five episodes or, you know, well into the sixth episode, um, or or any episode. Now going forward, you're creative and I'm creative and we all, whether whether you're successful at it or an amateur at it or whatever, we're all inspired by something. We're all shaped by something. And I grew up watching Saturday Night Live and watching David Letterman and watching things that that took taboo subjects. Yes, brought them and, out in the light of day. Right. When you talk about something in an open setting where nobody's being hurt, then it becomes okay to talk about it because we're in a safe atmosphere and we can laugh at it and we can all see how stupid stupid it is. Oh, I I agree entirely. For good, bad, or indifferent, my personality was shaped by Saturday Night Live and David Letterman um, and Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right, because through that, you can learn that anything in the right context can be made fun. If it's done without hate and mouth. That's right. That's right. If if you... If you do it in fun, if you do it and I mean, there's still going to be people that are offended by it, but I think that's the part of it is you do it without hate and malice. You draw attention to the stupidity of it. If you look at kids on a playground. Yeah. They will play with anybody. Exactly right. A young child, a white kid will play with a black kid, a Puerto Rican kid, a kid in a wheelchair. Yeah. They don't care. You learn to hate and you learn prejudice and to your point, sometimes being exposed to certain works of art and, and being exposed to comedy in the mm-hmm. right context, you learn that anything is funny, as, as you just stated very well, as long as it's not hateful. Right. When you draw the lunacy of why you would think it was a bad thing, if you draw attention to that yes. and kind of make that the joke, yes. that the people who don't get the joke are the ones who are morons. Right. Those types of shows in that period of time particularly in the, the mid to late 70s, in the early 80s, when you were still reeling from all, all almost two decades of turmoil. Because the 70s and 80s weren't so fucking good either. No. That's that's where I was molded. And that's where my personality was was created. And that's where, those are my influences. Yeah. My influences come out of that. And that's why, and, and you know me pretty well. I'm a smart ass. A lot of people who are, are sarcastic, wise asses, you're molded in some cauldron of- I think I, I, sarcasm is- 
Some of us see behind the curtain. Some of us see what's really going on. Mm -hmm. Some of us can see the broken things. Right. And that's part of what sarcasm is. You look at what's broken and that's the way you deal with it. That's right. You have to laugh yeah. about it because it's ridiculous. I'm going to draw attention to this and, and I'm going to deal with it because if I get consumed by it, well, then I'm done. I'm, it's That's going to eat me up. So I'm going to focus on something bad, but kind of make it fun. Yeah. Or, or point out the fun in it. That's what I absolutely love about Neil Gaiman's writing. That has always been the thing, and, and I kind of have a hard-on for Gaiman again, because when I was on vacation recently, the last day I was on vacation, we spent poolside instead of going to any of the Disney parks, and the kids were in the pool, and the wife was doing her thing. I had a book called Smoke and Mirrors. It's a compilation of it's a lot awesome of- it's collection it's, of short right, stories. It's, it's Gaiman short stories. I spent four and a half hours with Neil Gaiman in Florida poolside. He's an entertaining gentleman to spend some time But the with. thing is, like, and you know, I mean, you're, you know better than I do. You've read more Gaiman than I have. The thing that I love about Gaiman is that he writes in a, a horror sci-fi context. Yes. But he does it with such a great deal of humor. Yes. Sarcasm is easy to pick up on if you know the person's voice. I don't know Neil Gaiman, right. but I've read enough Gaiman that the way he writes certain things, you know he's being sarcastic. Yes. And the way he can shift from abject horror in one sentence to humor in the next mm -hmm. is incredible. So let's talk about the 60s. Yeah, man. Back to the 60s. <laughs> Let's take a trip. Hey, tune in, turn on. Is that Freedom Rock, man? <laughs> we'll turn, turn it up. up. <laughs> I think that's from the 70s, right? Yeah, but there was a lot of 60s games yeah. on there. But anyway, so also from the 60s comes Miss Genovese. Kitty Genovese. Yes. And that's where we had referred earlier to the 38 witnesses that yeah. did nothing. That's proven to have been a little bit exaggerated, but it's still very disturbing. There's a lot that has culturally, just like the Kennedy assassination, there's a lot that's been culturally inspired by that. And I know you want to talk a little bit about why you picked that as fodder for the show, but in doing a little bit of research with the most authoritative research tool out there, <laughs> wikipedia.com. Hey, well, here, so here's the thing. I will just give a little disclaimer for that. And you're being playful. But the thing is, for the listeners out there, when I was actually in grad school, a lot of my professors would admonish students who used Wikipedia as a source because people would do it in their papers. And you know, in grad school, you have to you have to you have, yeah. to, you have to cite and you have to give reference and it's book page. If you're making a point, you better document your damn source. Yes. And a lot of folks would use Wikipedia. <laughs> and I would see people get just you know their heads taken to off. shreds. They'd be like, okay, Wikipedia is like a bunch of ass clowns out in the back parking lot here putting their thoughts out there. However, I will say the Kitty Genovese page on Wikipedia. It's well documented. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, it's, it is. It's well footnoted. <laughs> right. And I would um, and I would direct listeners to that. Anybody who's not familiar with the Kitty Genovese story, and if you find it compelling during the course of this conversation, you should go take a look at it and we'll explain why. Yeah. Wikipedia, and I'll tell you this, Wikipedia is a great starting point. It is. That's for anything. Right. You're curious about something, you want to figure something out. Wikipedia is a great place to go to gather some facts to get some sources and to go further and say, oh, okay, I want to learn more about this topic. But so our footnoted article on Wikipedia. Now, for those of you that don't know the situation, I'll let Craig take most of the reins on this. But in doing my research, I found some quotes from a gentleman by the name, and I'm using the term gentleman very loosely, <laughs> Mosley, who was her killer. And Mosley has some very disturbing quotes. I don't 
I like to write dark characters, but I don't think I could write this guy because it's again, it's that whole you can't make this shit up. Type he of thing. made me want to vomit. Right. And then there's usually only two times that I want to vomit when I'm extremely ill, <laughs> when I've had a little bit too much of the drink. Sure. And now a third one when I read something that's quoted from Mr. Mosley. Mr. Mosley's motivation that evening when he stalked Miss Genovese was to, quote, kill a woman. Mosley preferred to kill women because he said, quote, they were easier and didn't fight back. So they arrest this winner. And, and oh, here's another nice little quote from, from Mr. Mosley. For a victim outside, it's a one-time or one-hour or one-minute affair, but for a person who's caught, it's forever. At the same hearing, Mosley claimed he never intended to kill Genovese, that he considered her murder to be a mugging because people do kill people when they mug them sometimes. They try to get him off through being legally insane. Doesn't work. Ends up going to jail. Gets sentenced to death. March 18, 1968, Mosley escapes from custody while being transported back to prison from Meyer Memorial Hospital in Buffalo, New York. He's there because he's undergoing minor surgery for a self-inflicted injury. That makes no sense to me. You have a guy that's convicted, sentenced to death, injures himself. They take him to a hospital to patch him up so that he lives. While he's at the hospital, he escapes. He gets into a vacant home nearby, stays there for three days. The homeowners go to check on the house. They encounter Mosley. He holds the couple hostage for over an hour, during which time he binds and gags the husband and rapes the wife. Then he takes their car and flees, makes his way to Grand Island, broke into another home, took a woman and her daughter hostage, held them hostage for two hours before releasing them, this time unharmed, and then surrenders to police. He's later charged with escape and kidnapping and pleads guilty. And maybe this is just a failing of the Wikipedia article, but no mention of the fact that he actually raped one of these women while he had them held hostage. Right, sure. Very disturbing, vile, disgusting. The board denied his request for parole. Wonder why. Mosley <laughs> remains in prison after being denied parole a 16th time. So I don't even understand why this guy's up for parole. Well, Manson was up for parole. Yeah, there's another topic. See, there you go. Right. I just throw that out there. Well, you know, the Beatles the Beatles were talking to him, though. Matt Manson's just, like, completely batshit insane. Not that this guy's not batshit insane. It was the 60s. It was the 60s. Hey, man, you know, that's what people do. They mug each other. They kill each other. They rape each hey, other's wives. Once you, know, you kill, well, just remember, once you kill the leader of the free world, let's, I mean, if you go back to the topic, all bets are off, brother. I mean, what do you have to, that's kind of the thing. That's an interesting way of looking at it, isn't it? Well, you yeah. know, hey, if, if I can kill the king, then what's it matter if I kill the, the barman over here? That's, that's exactly right 38 people watched thing Go I ahead. Found. this is a this is this, a is, this is justification right. for why well i'll just read it and you can tell me what you think it justifies because the original statement was that 38 people saw this and did nothing about it that's right the defense for that is well 38 people watched only two saw actual assaults right joe fink saw her stab didn't do anything about it right carl ross called police on the second attack right and the wikipedia article also makes reference to three things that i have seen that i can now see a parallel to this in yes perry mason yes. silent six perry mason was one of my favorite shows when i was growing up the watchman 
Yes. Rorschach. Yes. This Genovese situation apparently inspired his character. I'm Now that I'm familiar with the story, I mean, I remember the character. Before that, to me, she was just someone that was a character in a story. That's right. I didn't know. I mean, See? I'll be honest with you, I had no idea that this was something that actually really happened. Right, right, right. And that's where it amazed me. I'm a fan of Dean Kuntz, and he wrote a story called Twilight Eyes. Right. And there's a reference in there to the Genovese situation. It's a, a story where P, there's someone that can see goblins yeah. disguised as humans. And of course, he has to kill them all. Right. Oh, well, sure. Which there's a movie it. like that, too. Do you remember the movie? I don't. But um, they live? No, not <laughs> you guys with the sunglasses. No, there's one hey, with um, Roddy Roddy Piper was in that. <laughs> okay, and that's for John Towers. Yes. That's for Doctor John Towers. He had to have at some point been inspired by Rowdy Roddy Piper. I'm sure. I yeah. bet he has a kill. <laughs> has a kill. I don't want to know. But we'll have to ask Lori Towers. Does uh, Does the uh, doctor have a kill? Hey now. Bonesaw's ready. <laughs> no, it was, um, what the hell was the name of that movie? Now it's going to bother me. They could see demons and, and the Blues Brothers. No. <laughs> that was, I'll look it up. But wouldn't I'll, that be I'll, funny? Now let's see, let's do a little take on, let's combine that movie that you're thinking of and they live in the Blues Brothers with their sunglasses. And if the Blues Brothers were in a rhythm and blues review and they could actually go driving around Chicago playing their good time rock and roll soul music for folks and see evildoers, goblins, zombies, whatnot, and kill them. That's a fucking story right there. That is, that's a great story. I love it. I'm writing that one. I mean, okay, on this day. Frailty. Oh, fra frailty. Okay. I actually have frailty. I own that. That's a, all right, all right. Matthew I, McConaughey. McConaughey's in that. Yes. And isn't one of the bills in that? Isn't yes. Isn't there a Paxton? There is a Paxton Paxton's in there. in that. And, and the great Powers Booth. Yes. There's the, uh, there's the. <laughs> remember Powers Booth in Red Dawn? Yeah. Do you remember that? He's got that, you know, the, the, the gun down pilot. With, and then they got that great line. Didn't there used to be 10 billion Chinese? Used to be, and he <laughs> his, his coffee on the fire. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. it used to be. It used to be. Yeah, <laughs> frailty. But that's what frailty was frailty. about. They could see the demons. Frailty is a great movie. It, it, it is, is. and I'm and I'm not going to say anything about it because right. I think everyone listening should, if you have not seen it, watch frailty. Yeah, I agree. That's that's your challenge, listeners. Watch Frailty. Watch Frailty and then also learn more about Kitty Genovese. But here's the thing. The reason why I wanted to talk about Kitty Genovese. Because it's um, a situation that's been going on for over half a century. Well, right. It goes back. It's, it's more than half a century. Um, <laughs> for, for I'm Bill Curtis for investigative reports. And for more than a half century... No, anyway. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to make light of... Mosley, Mosley's a creep. Yes. I mean, he's a shithead bastard. Um, He's still alive, folks. Right, and, and he is, and that's that's interestingly disturbing. The the thing is that, as Dan alluded to during the discussion there, there were things that, and, and I'll get a little into why I talked about this here in a second, but, but first and foremost, it is interesting. And the reason why I want to talk about this topic um, is that this event, you know, the Kitty Genovese thing is kind of a social phenomenon. And it's one of those stories and urban legends and whatnot that has inspired a lot of other works. Yeah. And as much as I know about Kitty Genovese, I didn't know that Kitty Genovese had inspired Rorschach. 
yeah. uh, from from the Watchmen. Yeah. Uh, uh, in in until I was doing research for this discussion, mm-hmm. um, and I and I kind of like, well, shit, how did I not know that? That's what it blew me away. Right, right. And and the thing is, and again, as much as we love them, um, this is one of those things where I can envision this, and it kind of goes back to a conversation Doctor John Towers and I had about Will Eisner one time, and John looked at me like, well, fuck, how do you not know who Will's not Will Eisner is? <laughs> you know, and that was that's why I love John because John is just this this compendium of knowledge and he just will hit you and like he goes well fuck yeah I know who Kitty Genovese is and obviously I knew that she inspired the Rorschach character and how the fuck did you not know that <laughs> you know anyway that's what I love about John he just has all this he's forgotten more things <laughs> right. about pop culture than I currently have in my brain right I'm not gonna profess that I know anything about the Watchmen series other than I read it a long time ago and have forgotten it all and then I watched the movie a couple years ago and loved it listeners go do a quick look up at Kitty Genovese and you'll see all of the aspects of pop culture that have been inspired by this this story it's one of those things Dan that has has shaped me and this goes back to a lot of things about me from an education perspective but then also as a writing perspective and I've been exposed to the Kitty Genovese tale on several different occasions through a lot of different teachers over the years believe it or not it's 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 a it's kind of a social phenomenon and it's taught um, it's taught in economics, it's taught in political science, it's taught in psychology, it's taught in sociology, it's taught in a lot of different circles. And every everybody who comes at it from a different discipline um, kind of puts it out there in a different way. But the reason why, and I'll get to this as to why I wanted to talk about it now is because, you know, as we alluded to before, um, recently I was in Disney and this is one of those things. And believe it or not, I can make a Kitty Genovese de- um, analogy to a Disney trip. Oh God, go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Challenge accepted. The main takeaway from the Kitty Genovese story is that you have a person who is being murdered. Yes. With a whole bunch of people around that hear her. The story changes a little bit depending upon who tells it. Um, in what method it's being delivered to, you know, what you read on Wikipedia. And you'll see some of the stuff is debunked. And I don't personally, I don't give a shit if it was 36 people or 38 people or 12 people. Somebody was killed and there were other people around who did nothing. Who did nothing about it. And there's a lot of great terms that you can grab from the Wikipedia page. The bystander effect ties into the disillusionment of New York City and the areas surrounding New York City. I wonder if that's where New York got its reputation as being so aloof. Unfairly in a lot of regards. But there's that great quote about one death is a tragedy and blank deaths are a statistic. And that kind of lends itself to disillusionment. And it's, you know, and again, it's the 60s and it's a product of its time, but it's even more pervasive nowadays. Yeah. And people, and I don't want to be cynical. I'm not a cynic. I'm the thinking human being on this planet. I I understand that there is good in the world and I understand that there's evil in the world. Yes. And as we talked about before, it doesn't take a whole lot of evil to override the acts of all the good. That's correct. That's right. The people who were bystanders, I don't look at them as being evil, so to speak. You know, but if if you look at it in a true philosophic Aristotelian kind of way or uh, Immanuel Kant that's either it's either good or it's bad. This woman was being murdered and she was screaming for hours. Right. It wasn't like this was a, an immediate attack. It took place over time and there were many people who could have done something about it. There's also stories about people who pulled down their blinds, people who turned off their lights. That doesn't impact me. So I don't want to know anything about it. That's not me. Yeah. It's the somebody else's problem. Right. Not to take something that's 
horrific and make a joke out of it. But it kind of goes back to the final episode of Seinfeld too. It ties into that whole thing like the, the four of them standing there watching the guy get carjacked and doing nothing about it yeah. and joking about it and making jokes about it. The Kenny Genovese story influenced that discussion because Good Samaritan laws have been enacted yes. because of Kitty Genovese. There's a law on the books in Vermont because of... You well, the Wikipedia in- article says <laughs> that prior to this, the emergency operator, when you would like call 911 or whatever the service was at that particular time, that they would be belligerent and rude to that's you. That's right. That's right. I can't, I can't even fathom that. That's right. Um, but I picture like Janine from Ghostbusters. You're calling for, you know, I'm being murdered. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> the, the, the Kitty Genevieve story is used in a lot of situations. As we've discussed, it's influenced a lot of other writers because it's found its way into a shitload of works from pop culture. So it's constantly used as a real life cautionary tale that influences other aspects. But the thing that it's most often used to discuss is the morality associated with what would you do? Because everybody likes to think they would help. But is your morality that consistent that on a given day, I would love to go help that woman. Unfortunately, I got to get my son to soccer practice. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, Kitty. You know, and that's the what, thing. Yeah, exactly right. And, we and, like to think we're better. That's right. But, you know, I don't want to go over there. I'm going to get stabbed. And that's right. I'd like to believe there's a certain fraction of the population that is inherently good. And I also understand that there's a certain fraction of the population that is inherently evil. And there's a great Venn diagram of those that are good and those that are bad that sometimes will do good and sometimes will do bad. But anyway, the the way they tie this into economics is it's that concept of the free rider. And it goes back to how much government do we need? How much control do we really need? Because people are good. And if you lead people to their own devices, they'll do the right thing. To which I say oftentimes, bullshit. <laughs> they um, won't. Yeah. The road, Breaking Bad. Right. The Walking Dead. Right. I'm a political scientist. This is what informs my writing. It informs my opinions on a lot of things. And my wife and I were having this conversation at Disney. And this is how I'll tie it back to Disney. And this is what made me think of Kitty Genovese. Because... When we were down there, when you're exposed to that many people, th- you know, <laughs> thousands of people. Yes. Five days in a row. Oh, my God. You yeah. start to see what happens when society breaks down, as, uh, as a friend yeah. of mine once said. Yeah. People are rude. There are no manners. People walk in front of people. People cut lines in front of people. People have no regard for one another. I don't care if you're walking. I don't care if you're driving. I don't care. Blah, blah. And I'm not saying every. I'm not painting in a broad stroke there. There are some people who do and some people who don't. And my point with that is always that if you don't have some rule, some governing body, some authority showing you the right thing to do or telling you the right thing to do, half of the time, people are going to fuck you. And you aren't going to like it. I'm going way out on a limb. But that's always the morality behind the Kitty Genevieve story. That it's like, listen, if somebody was there when Kitty Genovese was getting stabbed, telling people, hey, you need to go help her out. They would. Or if somebody, if you knew. If there were two people standing there and one of them goes, hey, let's go help her. That's right. Or if there were five people standing there, one person's like, hey, let's, everybody else would do it. That's right. Yeah. Right. Someone needs to step up first. It's that old adage about integrity is what you do when no one else is looking. Yes. Um, And if you think you can get away with it, 
you will. Again, it's I, human nature. I, I am. That's right. It's exactly. human nature. And that's you're not what, judging one person. <laughs> you're right. judging us as a I'm, people. That's right. And that's what's fun storytelling. And that's where I think it ties in. As we've seen, it influences a lot of story. And this is terrible. It's a fun arc. It's a yeah. fun thing to explore from a storytelling perspective. It's You like to think this is what you would do, but what would you really do? And let's explore that instead. Well, that's what our job is when we write, is right. to draw attention to the things in society that maybe aren't 100% right. Right. The things that most people don't want to look at. Yeah. The things that most people are like, eh, I'm not going to pay attention. That's what you do as a writer, as a songwriter, as a poet, as a creative, as a painter, as a photographer, as somebody who is creative. That's your job. That's that's what makes you a creative person is that's you right. see the world differently. And your job is to all of you who, who have the creative spirit is to take something and to bring it out into the light and make people look at it and make people go. That's stupid. We need to change that. Yeah. Okay, because okay. that's how things change. And, and I think that's what's really neat about this particular story. After I was was researching this topic for this discussion and I found out about the Rorschach thing, I thought that was pretty cool. It's no secret to people who know me that I'm a Democrat. But, and, but the thing is, my fundamental... I'm a recovered Republican. Right, my fundamental reason... and But the thing is, I'm, I agree with Republicans on... A billion things. That's my whole point. I don't like the two-party no, system. I don't either. Have your own ideas. That's right. Meet somewhere in the middle. Right. It doesn't, I mean, this whole labeling one or the other, right. it doesn't make any sense. It's become an institution. And nobody is a pure, I believe everything that this party believes. Absolutely. Person. I am probably the most conservative Democrat in the history of the world. But a lot of my beliefs and the way I view things come back to, I want to believe that everybody would, if you just left them alone, people will do the right thing. We don't need to have a Department of Transportation because people will band together and they'll fix the highway. Okay, bullshit. They won't do that. We don't need a fire department because if a fire breaks out, everybody in the neighborhood will rush to everyone's defense. Bullshit. They won't. They fucking won't do that. It's again, it's a great concept to believe in, but I'm sorry, it's human nature and they won't. And you remember this back from when we and I used to work together. It's one of the things in the Federalist Papers. Yeah. If men were angels, there'd be no reason to govern them. Right. Yeah. And they're not. Yes. As much as I want to believe that, but as we discussed a couple of times through the course, it doesn't take a whole lot of evil in the world to disrupt all the good. It only takes a few. And that's what I always come back to. I, hey, I get it. I don't like the government in my fucking business all the time either. But you know what? If you don't have, if you didn't have an, a, an education department, you wouldn't have public education. Yeah. Why don't we take a quick break here? And when we come back, I'll tell you why I sort of disagree with you on that. Hang tight. We mention this guy all the time, but if you want to check out Dr. Tower's work, he's at johnnyax.com. That's J-O-N-N-Y-A-X-X.com. You'll enjoy it. You will. And I will caveat it like this. John is not for everybody, but John is certainly for us um, and for a lot of uh, listeners of this show. If you like to think, if you like people to challenge you to think, right. which hopefully is our audience as well, you'll enjoy John. There's an old adage about the challenge of great literature. John is one of the most intellectual and incredibly hidden intellects. John is a treasure, an incredibly intelligent, articulate guy that you wouldn't know that uh, to look at him at first blush. You wouldn't know that, but there's, there's a lot to John. 
he's not arrogant about it. Is that's what it exactly is. Right. It's, he's confident with that's you right. know who he is and what he is and what he does, and, and that's what makes him more appealing to me. Uh, an author, a podcast tour, a storyteller, a raconteur, a man about town, a man of leisure, combat engineer, uh, barbed wire, uh, right? Death a, champion. A, a lot of stuff that both Dan and I respect deeply. One of the things that bothers me is that I feel society, culture has been dumbed down almost on purpose because when you have somebody else to think for you, you don't have to think for yourself. Amen. I agree with that entirely. And I think that you and I and everybody listening and everybody out there knows people that are good parents. Yep are good friends, good mentors, good leaders. And you also know the people out there that are lazy, useless, no good. <laughs> you know what I'm quoting? You Worthless, got a little breakfast club on No right, good, right, right. stupid. Shut up. Fix me turkey pot pie. Yeah. <laughs> There's that element of society as well. I think that given proper examples, we will tend to be the better person than the worst person. Always want to believe that. You're right. I it, do believe it if that is done. Right. But the problem is any idiot can breed. <laughs> you need a license to fish. Right. You need a license to get a dog. You need a license to drive. But any idiot can go out there and have a couple kids, couple rugrats, pop them out. Right. This segment is brought to you by Philip K. Dick. <laughs> The license to procreate. Yes, exactly. <laughs> At one point in time, my wife and I considered adopting and things changed and we didn't. But we went through a whole process of adopting and part yes, of that process. But, but let me just interject here. At the time where you and Monica were considering adoption, you got some reference letters. And was mine not the best written? It was the best written <laughs> reference letter I've ever seen in my entire life. Thank you very much. That's right. That's, That's right. why I asked you to write one. I just want to pat myself on the back. <laughs> <clears throat> Just take a victory lap. That's that. right. right. Pat sure. yourself on the back a couple I'm times. Right, right, I can't right. reach you from here. <laughs> I'll pat you later. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, there's a very, very complicated, long, drawn out, very invasive process when you're looking to adopt. They want to know everything about you. Obviously, they should. I mean, you're taking a child into your home. Obviously, nah, they need be like getting fast. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, yeah, there's a there's a very long a process that you go through. You go through classes. I mean, you spend your Saturdays for months going to these six, seven hour classes. We were at, we were choosing uh, to adopt not a baby, but a child that was unwanted for some reason. Right. Going uh, through the state, essentially, yeah. for, for a number of different reasons. But I mean, I, I just felt that there's so many. It's just like, I guess, pets. I mean, I, why, why would I? I'm comparing a child to a pet now. There's so many unwanted cats out there. Why would you have new ones when you can adopt one? <laughs> would you like to bring a new cat into your home? <laughs> but, you, know, you know, I don't I don't want to jump in here because, you know, but but the thing is. The water's fine. Come on you, in. You know, you know again, you, you and I have known one another for a long time. Um, and I knew you and I saw you every day uh, when you were going through that process. And, and that's that's an onerous thing. It's heartbreaking, uh, too. It, it is. And it's heartbreaking for people who are close to you, too. It's it's tough to go through that. And I can't imagine. 
what that was like. But I think your point, and, and again, I don't want to steal your thunder. I think the point that you were probably getting to there is like that is ridiculous. To a certain it, extent. It, it's, it's well met. Right. That process, we, we haven't discussed it in this format, and, and I'm just coming at but I can procreate like that. Yes. With no intent, purpose, training, or anything else. That's right. Without having to spend my weekends going through any classes and blah, blah, blah. And nine months from now, there's somebody else out there in the world. Right. With no support. Right. No guidance. That's what I see as a problem. I think if you're going to have a child, if you're thinking about having a child, if you see, that's the thing. Most people don't think that's the problem. Thought. I just came hey, up with it on the whim and buying Zoom. Let, let's let's solve the problems of the world. Here, right. Here's my solution. In elementary school, middle school, and high school, there's a required course that you take about how do you mentor somebody? How do you be the better person? How do you guide somebody? How do you be somebody's better angel rather <laughs> than darker demon or whatever the phrase is? We learn how to add, subtract. We learn how to do all these other things, but we don't learn how to be good people to other people. Yeah. You go to Sunday school, I guess, for that. And maybe that's a difference if you look at the, not to say that the 50s were great because then you also had all the civil rights violations in the South and, you know, those are all church-going people that's exactly, that's, that's exactly right, which again goes back to the basic concept of the fact that the world is full of good people and bad people and sometimes bad people are good people if men were angels and I'm using the men term. But if your parents tell you that just because that person's black means that they're less than you, right. then you're going to grow up with that opinion. Right. And that's one of the things that maybe slowly we're starting to see as a society is that, you know, people are more accepting of people of different races. Different I'd like creeds. to believe so. I like well, to believe I hate so. to say race because it's not really race. It's we're not human race. race. It's we're right. all human. We've certainly gotten very deep tonight on the ninth story. We've gotten so deep that I think we're the, the minus ninth story. We've gone subterranean. <laughs> We've gotten some nine stories below. We are nine stories below. So I think it's a good time to take a break. And, you know, again, I would encourage people to go do some research on Kitty Genovese. You'll see what we're talking about and why we think it's a vital topic, um, again, for society. But then also, if you're a writer and you're looking for some ideas, it's a good story. It is an interesting story. It's it's It deals with the darker side of humanity, which... The darker side of humanity. And so we'll take a break on that. See ya. It starts with an itch and a tingle And then it builds and expands And suddenly all at once My legs won't let me stand I scratch till my fingers go numb But my skin never bleeds A silent accomplice waits in I never let it out It grows and divides inside me It's making a home beneath my skin Welcome back. Uh, I see Craig has, he actually has a book in his hands right now. So these books you're referring to? Is he, the theme music playing? Is the is the user illusion, the wacky fun theme music playing? We, we, we should play that. Maybe we should change the name of that this week to Use Your Disillusion. Oh, <laughs> I want to keep it as Use Your Illusion. 
Use your illusion. And for the kids at home, that's illusion with, with, with an, an A. Keeping with the theme of the uh, the John F. Kennedy assassination on uh, on this week's show, <laughs> excuse me, um, we're going to use the terminology of the grassy knoll, which uh, I think Dan alluded to this earlier in the episode about the three hobos, you know, camped out down by the grassy knoll. Um, grassy knoll is, again, a term taken right from the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of Illusions, the massive compendium from which we draw all of our use your illusion tools and references, and we drop some knowledge on the listeners. Um, drop something on the listeners. <laughs> I'll drop something on you. <laughs> you want me to drop something on you? I'll drop, drop, a, drop an illusion on them. I'll drop an that's illusion what they're waiting on you. for. That's what yeah, they want. That is. That's, that's what they're begging give, for. You give the people what they want. You were asking for it. You wanted my illusion. Yeah. If you didn't want my illusion, you wouldn't have downloaded this podcast. That's right. That's right. You were, you you were asking, asking for it. That's right. So Grassy Knoll is the conspiracy theory about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. No longer a cliche for describing a landscape... Those two words are forever associated with the feverish suspicion surrounding the assassination in Dallas, Texas, November 22, 1963. The grassy knoll is believed by many, the Warren Commission findings notwithstanding. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Back into the left. Back into the left. To be the place from which assassins, in addition to or instead assassins. of... Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald fired shots at President Kennedy. In fact, as conspiracy theories grow, ever more popular to explain ever more events and mysteries, the grassy knoll has become a shorthand term for all conspiracies or for the state of mind attracted to such theories. It is also inevitably the name of a musical group which plays numbers with such conspiracy dripping titles as Black Helicopters, which are all-purpose government evil doing, and Roswell Crash, which deals with space aliens. The term in use um, by Matt Rausch uh, in the USA Today, November 15, 1996, reviewing an episode of the X-Files television show, says, Deftly playing a revisionist history game, this episode revives key players from the shows and the nation's past, from the grassy knoll to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Wait, the X-Files? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When's that, when's, what night's that on? <clears throat> the... Um, the X Files? Well, I don't know. When it's final in when its final run, it was on Sundays in its initial run. Oh, that's not a new show. The X Files? Yeah. Is it? I, I, I don't know. Is it? A new Sounds show? like a conspiracy to me. Could be. <laughs> it's quite possible. It's no, a the conspiracy. The, they the, tanked so, so, that show. Yeah, that's right. Well, oh, yeah, they probably did, but you know, the conspiracy theory was. They a, started was off a, with the lone gunman who had uh, an episode where uh, terrorists try to crash into the World Trade Center with. Planes. Uh oh. That was that was a great big grilled cheese sandwich that slammed into the side of the Pentagon. <laughs> Have you ever seen the footage? <laughs> anyway, so grassy knoll. Grassy knoll is again. It comes from as as we just uh, read the definition of. Mm -hmm. That's where it comes from. But grassy knoll, the term has become synonymous with anything. That is related to a conspiracy in any way, shape, form, 
etc. If you are a writer and you want to have a character who has some witty banter or has some inner dialogue or monologue or whatever inner. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Inner. Inner. Uh-huh. That's, uh-huh. Yeah. I'm, you got me. I'm listening. Uh-huh. Keep going. Use the term grassy knoll. It's colorful language. Use that grassy knoll. Oh, I'll put it in your grassy <laughs> Mow that lawn. <laughs> okay. So that's it. I'm, I'm not adding anything more to that. Dan has got a potty mind on this week's episode. All right, folks, I guess that's it for this week. We will see you next week. And uh, in a few days here, we're actually going to be hanging out with Dr. Towers on the Red Horse Radio Show. So look for that episode coming up soon. We'll see you next week.